Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you could be here. Please have some tea, if you would. You know, we chant to male and female ancestors, stretching back generations, many names of forgotten, some we remember as a symbol for all of them. But the reason this tradition has carried on for centuries, thousands of years, is because of unknown names who have nurtured it, developed it, sometimes changed it and sometimes have been forgotten. One of the folks that was remembered in a way perhaps he did not deserve was this fellow, Heshang Moheyan. Um, He was a Chinese teacher who in the 8th century was extremely important and influential in the early days of Buddhism in Tibet. But As things happened, traditions change, different forms of Buddhism came into Tibet, what we now know as Tibetan Buddhism or esoteric types of Buddhism, and Moheyan became kind of a historical scapegoat for some. Uh, According to recent research based on the old documents found in the Dunhuang Caves, these are uh, ancient Tibetan and Chinese documents that were found in the 20th century, Moheyan actually was, um, according to who you hear, the winner of the debate. But later he was turned into the fellow who was told that his Buddhism was not right and he should get out of town. Well, I'm here to say to you that there are no winners or losers in this debate. That Tibetan Buddhism is right for those who, for whom it is right, as we now know it. Moheyan's Buddhism is right for some. The other reason I I like Moheyan is this is a very, very early flavor of Zen Buddhism. And um, it's before the age of the koans and what we know as uh, now, for example, koan-centered Zazen, Rinzai practice. And how do I know this was before the the koans, because most of the people who appear in the koans weren't even born yet when this was written. So this was uh, the flavor of meditation and zazen back in the early days. And for me, it rings true to what we're doing today. That's another reason I'm going to mention it. But does that mean that this is a better way than the way that developed later? And I'm here again to say, no, it's not. You see, just because it's earlier does not mean that it's necessarily a better way. The Rinzai practice, the koan practice of sitting focused on a koan, like what is the sound of one hand clapping, this developed later, that doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's for different people. Jishin made a comment, reminded me of a comment I made yesterday that said, Shikantaza is not for everyone. 
This is certainly true. But it's right for some, and apparently has been right from the days of Mohayan, for some. And for others, Rinzai tradition is right. For others, Tibetan tradition is right. I do not mean to say anything I imply today that just because this was earlier or kind of rings true with what we're doing, that it's better than the Tibetan way or it's better than the Rinzai way. That is not my point at all. I actually think that uh, for some, Buddhism is wrong. Finding Jesus is the right way. Being an atheist might be the right way for some, if that's how they approach the universe. Different people have their own paths. And by the way, let me just put in one little comment there. Liberal comments like I just made got me kicked off a forum recently for the third time called uh, Dharma Wheel because they consider me too liberal. They say that the Dharma I preach, which is very much like you'll hear Mohayan preaching, is not their view of the Dharma. And also my statements such as that even Christians should practice Christianity is not something a Buddhist should say. So I was asked to leave. Basically, they showed me the door for the third time. It's okay. In my view, every path is suited for different feet. All right? Now, with that in mind, let's read what Mo Mohayan had to say. And I believe it rings true to our way of Shikantaza even today. I'm going to try to let Mohayan do most of the speaking today. The root of the worldly cycle of birth and death in the world is the discriminating conceptual mind. Why is this? The movement of the discriminating mind arises from habitual tendencies that have always been present. Because of this, one perceives everything in accordance with the conceptualizations that arise in the mind, and one acts in accordance with that perception, producing results in accordance with how you act. Therefore, from the height of Buddhahood down to the lowest hell is projected by your own concepts, and that is all you ever see. On the other hand, if the discriminating mind does not arise, one cannot find even an atom of ordinary phenomenon. Well, it's likely being a traditional Buddhist back in the old days, he was speaking of karma from lives past that come to fruition like seeds in this life and based on our thoughts of greed, anger, and ignorance or generosity and goodness and wholeness and our acts that follow, we create future lives for ourselves of heaven and hell. That's true. But he's also talking very clearly here about something else, and that is simply how much right now, right in this moment, in this life, our experience of the world is mind-created. The world is the world, and then there are your judgments of the world, your separation of the world into this and that, discriminating concepts, and then your acts based upon them, acts filled with love, generosity, and compassion, acts filled with hate, violence, greed. I like to say sometimes that the world has two things, nature and man's acts, which is really the same thing, of course, but 
We judge each. Nature is the volcano, the flood, the things we don't like. We judge them. They're painful. But they are just what they are. Man's acts of violence or greed or love are up to us. That is what he's speaking of here. If the mind is clear of discrimination, one cannot find even an atom of ordinary phenomena. When you drop the thoughts, the concepts, the violence from the, the separation from the heart, what's left? All Buddhist teachers will tell you that it's something not empty and gray and meaningless, but something pure and whole and very sweet. I think that's what he's pointing to here. Now, part of the bad rap, the bad reputation that Mohayan got is that later historians said his teachings were ridiculously simple. He said, don't think, don't act. Well, if you do that, I guarantee you, yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to be creating any bad karma. But as we will see here, Mohayan's view of not thinking was much more subtle than that and is very much our way of not thinking in Shikantaza. He said, thoughts will arise. Let them arise. Don't judge them. Don't engage with them. See through them. See the light that shines even through them, as them. And then those thoughts are not the same as they were before. All right? Let's see if my description of what he's saying um, does him justice. A person who understands that this is so should give up other activities, sit alone in a place that is isolated and free from noise and the hustle and bustle, cross the legs and keep the back straight without sleeping, evening or dawn. When one engages in meditation, by the way, the word here is zazen, zhuqin in Chinese, but here they've rendered it as meditation. When one engages in zazen, they should view their own mind. There being no mind, they do not engage in thought. If thoughts and discrimination arise, one should experience them. How should one experience them? Whatever thoughts arise, one does not examine to see whether they have arisen or not, whether they exist or not, whether they are good or bad, afflicted or pure. One does not examine any dharma whatsoever. To me, what he's describing here is just observing the mind. Thoughts arise, but yet there is something there that is free of all thought at the same time. How to perceive that? Thoughts arise. Do not judge good or bad thought. Do not examine where is this thought coming from? What does this thought mean? The thought comes. It goes. Do not engage. A light shines. And there you realize the no mind that is at the heart of mind. There's another translation of this that's on the uh, an alternative translation that I put on the, the back page. It's a little lower down. It's, it's the section that starts when they engage in, in meditation. It's, a, it's near the end. When they engage in meditation, they should view their own mind. Since nothing exists there, they have no thoughts. So it sounds like he is saying, don't have any thoughts. But that's not what he's saying. Listen closely. If conceptual thoughts move, 
the meditator, they should experience them. How should we experience them? Whatever thoughts arise should not be designated as moving or not moving. They should not be designated as existing or not existing. They should not be designated as virtuous or non-virtuous, good or bad. They should not be designated as afflicted or pure. They should not be designated as any kind of phenomenon at all. If the movement of mind is experienced in this way, it has no nature. This is called practicing the Dharma path, or as I might just summarize it, if thoughts arise, just let them be. And then they're not as you thought they were before. We're going to go back to where we were. If one becomes aware of the movement of mind in this way of the arising, one perceives the absence of self-existence. This is called practicing the Dharma path. When you practice in this way, the hard borders between yourself and all these individual things of this world, yourself and the not yourself, softens, sometimes fully blows away. You realize this not self, because all these thoughts, these separate things you saw, are not as hard and solid as you thought they were, because you do not engage them, because you do not let them be, because you do not philosophize about them or draw categorizations. You just let them be. The borders soften, and you realize the absence of self-existence for them and for you as independent things. If one fails to have this awareness of the arising and movement of thoughts, or if the awareness is incorrect, one will cultivate meditation in vain and remain as an ordinary person. An ordinary person lives in the world of this and that, good and bad. Where is it coming from? Where is it going? What do I need to do? What have I done? Enlightened people live in this world of this and that, but realize something beyond this and that by dropping all thought of this and that. They live in a world of good and bad. Of course, thoughts come of good and bad, and yet they realize something that shines through by dropping all hard considerations of good and bad. They live in a world of me and you, and yet by dropping all hard borders of me and you, they perceive something transcendent of me and you. That is the difference between ordinary people and Buddhas. Let's continue. After sitting in this manner for a long time, the mind will become stable and tame, and one will realize that his awareness is also discriminating mind, is conceptual thought. How does this occur? It is comparable to becoming blemished by bodily actions. It is only on account of the blemish that one knows that one is blemished. In this way, one has an awareness due to the blemish of the arising of thoughts. It is on account of this arising that we know that we have an awareness. That's a little complicated, but actually it's pretty simple. This week I was doing some carpentry in the uh, storehouse we have here, and a couple of times at least I hit my finger with a thumb, one time drilled my hand a little bit with the drill, just a little bit. Suddenly parts of my body that I hadn't been aware of became very aware to me. It's on 
the days it rains and it's cold that we realize the preciousness of a beautiful spring day like this. It's when we lose the people we love that we realize how much they meant to us in our life. It's because of the black that we realize the white. It is because of growing old that we realize youth, you see. In this way of thinking, though, these blemishes, we don't try to make them disappear. We realize that they were not blemishes at all because by letting them be, by not engaging, by not judging, somehow a light shines and we realize that winter has a time and rain has a time, sun has a time, warm days have a time, youth has a time, old age has a time, hitting your finger with a hammer has a time. Better the times you don't do that, they also have a time. By not engaging, as Mohayan recommends here, we realize that these blemishes that give this world life and complexity, war teaches us the perfection of peace and the value of peace, and we should work so hard in this world to make peace. But at the same time, we realize that there is something transcendent of war and peace in human terms. There is something transcendent of life and death in human terms by not engaging. Let's continue. Awareness itself is without name or form. One cannot see the place where it originally came, nor can one discern whither it will finally go. The awareness and place where it occurs cannot be obtained by any search. There is no way of reflecting on the inconceivable. Not to cling even to this absence of thought is Tathagata meditation. There is something that transcends coming and going in this world of coming and going. There is an awareness that we cannot chase after. So we sit not seeking and just allowing, radically allowing, thus to find that which cannot be obtained by any search, as he says. There is no way of thinking or reflecting on this inconceivable. Just let it be, experience so. Nor is it a matter of the absence of thoughts. Not even the absence of thoughts is what is at stake here. So then a student asks a question. This is basically the same question I get all the time. I bet later we're going to put the microphones on. I hope a couple of guys have a question. This might be the question. When cultivating, cultivating this non-thinking thing he's talking about and concepts arise, what should I do? How many times in our forum do, does that question get asked? Answer, this very mind that is without conceptualization is insubstantial, unarisen, unceasing, and identical with the space of reality. Since there is no need to fabricate it, do not chase after it, nor obstruct it. Just let it be. Instead, Rest in primordial thusness, without fabrication. How is this done? Since the mind is primordially non-abiding, it is unnecessary now to practice non-abiding. Since the mind is primordial non-conceptual, non it is unnecessary now to practice 
non-conceptualizing. This is a little tricky, but the way to, how to say this, the way to not think and not conceptualize and not philosophize is not to stop yourself from thinking. It's just to not think about it. Not think. If you try, that would be to fabricate primordial thusness. Our way is to find by not trying to do. Our way is to stop the doing. <laughs> how do you see, how to put it this way? You're hitting yourself in the head with a hammer. You know that my famous video I put there for beginners. How do you stop that? You don't stop that by saying, I have to stop this hammer hitting. You stop it by just not picking up the hammer or putting the hammer down, but just don't hit your head in the hammer. The point is not to try to stop hitting yourself in the head. The point is just stop hitting yourself. It's a little tricky. So the sutras say, Arising from phenomena without self, Buddhas achieve perfect enlightenment. Without conceptualization, without fixation, they always cultivate this mind of enlightenment. Buddhas don't try to do anything to be Buddhas. They're just Buddhas. It's human beings who get ourselves entangled. Human beings who get ourselves confused and living in a world of friction and separation because we pick up the hammer and start hitting ourselves with separation, conception, division, judgments. Buddhists just don't. Or as Mohayana is recommending for human beings, even when concepts and divisions and frictions arise, just don't engage. See through them. See them for what they truly are when the light shines. He continues, and also from the sutras. Phenomena are the reflections of the mind. Mind cannot itself be apprehended, unarisen, unceasing, beyond all mental activities, even and non-conceptual, like the sky. I often talk about Zazen being like the great, blue, open, boundless sky, pure like a mirror in all directions. Clouds of thoughts and emotions come. The purpose of our practice, according to Mohayan, is not to have a sky that is perpetually, endlessly free of clouds. It is to realize that when clouds come, they are the sky. The sky shines through and illuminates even the darkest clouds. Even when the clouds are hidden, hiding the sky on the rainiest, cloudiest, stormiest day of our lives where we cannot see the sky, the moon of enlightenment shines even then, even though hidden. The way of this practice is not to blow away and clear away all the sky. What a boring sky that would be. What a boring world. How could we live in a world without me and you and this and that and good and bad and war and peace and up and down? The way of this practice is to see this world of me and you and birth and death and up and down and this and that and right and left 
is also that boundless sky right through and transcendent of all that. It doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't go to anywhere, even as this and that life and death comes and goes. It's a pureness, a wholeness, a greatness beyond birth and death and life and death and life and good and bad, even at the heart of all that. Anyway, let me let Mohayan do the talking. So this section, again, I'm going to read it one more time because we have a minute here. When they engage in meditation, they should view their own mind. Since nothing exists there, they have no thoughts. No thoughts. Yet, if conceptual thoughts move, they should experience them. How should we experience them? Whatever thoughts arise should not be designated as coming or going, moving or not moving. They should not be designated as existing or not existing. They should not be designated as virtuous or non-virtuous, good or bad. They should not be designated as afflicted or pure, dirty or clean. They should not be designated as any kind of phenomenon at all. If the movement of mind is experienced in this way, it has no nature. This is called practicing the Dharma path. Thus, here's the Shikantaza. If, you, if it's not any clearer than this, this is it. Thus, do not suppress discrimination. Do not correct anything that arises, like throwing away something unpleasant. Let, letting it subside on its own, do not chase after it. Turn away from the six sense gates and then view the mind. We have a saying in Zen, turn the light within and let it shine. Master Dogen said this, other great masters of later centuries said this. What is he talking to here? You know, we sit with our eyes open and the six sense gates is all the sense data coming in through the five senses, which are the same for Buddhists, taste, touch, smell, hearing, sight, right? Did I get that all? Plus, the thoughts within, our inner thoughts, is considered one additional sense. So the, the Buddhist talk, spoke of six sense gates instead of the five, because they included the inner thinking mental world, too, as one. So all this sense data is coming in. He's not saying, close the eyes, turn it off, get in a sensory deprivation tank. Stop thinking. He's not saying that. He's saying, it comes... Don't engage. Turn within. Let the light shine within. Stuff comes into your eyes, into your ears. Noises, pleasant or unpleasant. Sights, beautiful or ugly. Don't engage them. Let them be. Turn within. The mental world within. Also, thoughts float through. Don't engage. Allow it to be. All right? So he's not saying shut it off. He's saying turn away. Don't engage. Turn away from the six sense gates and then view the mind. If discrimination stirs, do not think that it exists or does not exist, is pure or impure, is empty or not empty, and so on. Be without concepts, not even thinking of not thinking. When false discrimination stirs, experience it. Just let it be as if right there on the palm of your hand, like the furniture in the room here. 
We see it because we're sitting with our eyes open. You're looking at the wall. There it is. Just let it be. When false discrimination stirs, experience it. If this experience of birth and death is not learned and practiced in the style of discrimination, then there is no attachment to it. Then each thought will be immediately liberated. Finally, this is from another writing by him. For those who are capable of it, there is instantaneous entry, also known as the short path, the secret path, and the gate to the path of liberation. Now he's going to describe three kinds of mind here. The mind of ordinary people, the mind that kind of only senses emptiness, that, that is transcendent of this whole world, and that what he recommends is enlightened action living. Number one, if you experience the movement of the deluded mind and you follow that experience, by that he means you get attached to it, you cling to it, you wallow in it. This is the state of an ordinary sentient being. If you experience the movements of the deluded mind and know that they are without self, only seeing the selfless aspect of it, then this is one-sided peace, quiescent in emptiness. You're lost in emptiness. You've lost all the rest of this world. However, if you experience the movements of the deluded mind and do not conceptualize or follow them, then each thought is liberated as soon as it comes. This is correct meditation, or as the original says, this is correct zazen. Is that shikantaza, not shikantaza? I think it's close enough to be called at least grandpa. Is that for everybody? No, look at all the empty cushions behind me. But somebody, someone has kept this going for thousands of years. It has been for some people. I believe it's for you. All right. Any questions? Yes. Jonin. Jindo, um, one of the things I have found that are very difficult for people to understand is that their thinking is not reality. And they, well, we engage in thinking, uh, believing that our perception of the world is reality. So um, how to explain people that their thoughts are not reality? I kind of understand the concept for me, but it's hard for me to explain it to new people, to Buddhism or, or Zazen. How can I explain to someone new that his or her thoughts are not reality because that very concept um, can spring all the uh, further understanding of uh, Shikantaza. Well, a couple of things about that. First off, if I had figured that out, uh, we'd have all those seats filled behind me. It's very, very difficult. And for hundreds and thousands of years, Buddhists have been using all kinds of metaphors and 
uh, analogies to try to do that. That this world is like a theater or a film now, we would say. And while it seems very real to us, when we truly see it for what it is, we realize it's light and shadows, or it's like a dream more than we realize. And people still have difficulty to get that. But notice what Mohayan said. Don't get confused. Do not think this is real or do not think it's not real. If you would like to see the two aspects of it, as I often say, Zen teachers talk out of both sides of their no-sided mouth. As Dogen said, this world is like a dream, yet it's our dream. Dream it well. It's as real as a real can be. It's as dreamy. It's so much a dream. It's a dreamy dream. You see, to just say that this world is not real is only getting lost in enlightenment, as he said. You've got to come to that third part where the light shines through the dream and you realize that we live in a world, yes, it's a dream, it's a film, it's our, it's our theater here. Act it well. Thank you. Any, any other questions as I try to channel Mohayan here today? Guy on the end, dressed in black, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Uh, he was speaking earlier of uh, resting in uh, Zusness. And uh, I remember uh, spending time at a, a Tibetan school once where they spoke of uh, the word they, they used, resting in Elea. Um, does that square? I don't know enough about it to say whether it squares or not. I would, I would say that um, there are some flavors of Buddhism, and I don't know which one that uh, teaching is that you mentioned. So I'm just speaking in very, very general terms. Some, Trungpa. Well, Trungpa was very much of a in-this-world and out-of-this-world guy, too. So I would say there are some Buddhist teachings and other Eastern thought that emphasize this dreamlike world is ugly and uh, deluded. We need to get out of town. We need to get out of here. And then perhaps that was even the original flavor of Buddhism in the South Asian traditions, that the point of this venture was to get out of this dream because this dream is hopeless. It's a world of war, disease, old age, yuck. Let's get to something transcendent of that that's gone, 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 gone beyond. And then there were flavors of Buddhism in China and Tibet and Japan that were more like having your cake and eat it too, that we could be in this world. And this was the Taoist influence, I think, on Chan too, that you could be in this world and see through it, thus in the prison, but not its prisoner. Liberation, even as one foot is in this world of beauty and ugliness, you realize there's something transcendent of that. And that was what the Mahayana found, I believe, many of the Tibetan traditions and definitely Chan, Zen Buddhism. So what he's talking about here is having thoughts, 
He's not saying stopping the thoughts, having the thoughts of this, that, up and down, good and bad, beautiful and ugly, war and peace, and yet not being a prisoner of them, seeing through them, even as they're there. Uh, that did not answer your question, but um, those different flavors of Buddhism are present in many schools. A anything else? Going once, going twice. Well, I thank you to the priest Mohayan. We wouldn't be here today without him and thousands of others. Shall we chant the verse to close the sutras? Oh, by, by the way, did you have a question? No? Okay. Um, I have more of comments. Okay, wait a second, one last late entry. <laughs> so the second, no, the third sentence of your first paragraph, that um, for me made it really clear what, what it means, you know, that you create your own world with your thoughts and act upon it. You know. Basically, the question, you know, what is real, what, what, how do you explain reality and how do you perceive it, you know? And um, yeah, I like that very much. We certainly know endless people in this world just turn on the TV, just look at our own families, look at ourselves, how we create hells for ourselves and heavens for ourselves and how we can, in Buddhahood, create something even so tremendously, wonderfully beautiful that it transcends even these heavens and hells all by the power of what's right here between the eyes and behind the ears, okay? Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.